Hey, Shabbat Tov, Shabbat Tov, everybody. Thank you so, so much for coming. What a privilege, what a schuss, what an honor. What a blessing. To be able to sit together with Yidin Bechlau is a very phenomenal schuss and a privilege. The Eilagukajan Tzermagid, Schuss Yaganalena, used to say, Mikve Yisrael Hashem. A simple level it means that God is the salvation of Am Yisrael. But he also used to say that when a Jew sits among other Jews, it's a bechina of mikvah, mikvah Yisrael. We're sort of toiveling, you know, we're sort of dousing ourselves into the holiness of other Yidin. So even to sit together is already a big thing, even if nothing else happened, but just Jews got together, befrat to celebrate our Yiddishkeit through Zemer. And befrat to try a little bit in a tiny, tiny way that we can, besiyat ha to try to connect to to honor as much as we can the memory and the legacy of an individual whose complexity I think was his Mila and who had a lot to teach us through the Torah that he taught I think maybe even more specifically through the way that he lived. His Torah was a Torah, like he used to say, of not so much of a shiftach He taught us how to walk. He taught us how to be. He taught us how to struggle, maybe even how to fail, but certainly how to thrive and how to yearn and how to strive to be better. And that's what we're here for, I think. I can speak for myself. I want to be better. And I think all of us have that feeling and that's what life is. And so Ezer Hashem, with incredible thanks to the sponsors of tonight's event and to the hosts. We're dominating for Siyata Deshmaya that we should really be able to close our eyes, close our mouths, we already mentioned, but to close our eyes and to manage open our hearts in the deepest, deepest, deepest way that we should be able to touch just one percentage of this yearning of this chuka that filled this particular individual's heart Try to be a little bit better. See out to the shmai.
always that awkward moment after a fast song, everyone's just like standing. Everyone can sit. Everyone can sit. You can stand, you can sit. But it's for me to be able to sit next to Yonatan Atias. He did Nefesh, yeah. not Lead singer of New Real. What a privilege. Rockstar! I'm just this. We sing, I'm this Hoyerag Lena Bisharach Yerushalayim. Our feet were standing. I'm this Hoyerag Lena. Our feet were standing. At the gates of Yerushalayim. There's Yerushalayim in Makom, in place. There's a physical place, Yerushalayim. There's a city, Yerushalayim. There's also Yerushalayim in relationships. There's Yerushalayim in just a mode of being. Within every circumstance, there's a holy city within. There's a place to enter. Chazal say, the Gemara Bracha says, that everywhere in the world that a person is davening, he has to be facing toward Yerushalayim. And the Lashon of the Gemara is Haya Oimeid B'chutzla Aretz. If a person standing in Chutzla Aretz, he has to turn his face and daven toward Yerushalayim. The Gemara gets more specific. Haya Oimeid B'Yerushalayim. If a person was standing in Yerushalayim, so then he has to turn his face to the Makam HaMikdash. If a person's in the Makam HaMikdash, also this Lashon, Haya Oimeid, if he was standing in the Makam HaMikdash, he has to turn his face to the Kaddish HaKadosh. Chazal say something about Tefillah This is a little bit important, Mamish, to listen. Chazal say that Tefillah is so incredibly powerful and important because it's a Dabar HaOimeid Beruma Shal Oilam. It's something that stands, that's omeh, that's positioned at the apex, at the pinnacle of the world, the highest place. Tefillah, tefillah. So I was thinking, Mamish, like this. Whenever a Jew stands physically to Davin, the only way we can describe him is a Hoya Oimeh. He used to be standing in Chutzlaaretz. Ah, but then he turns his face to Eretz Yisrael, he's no longer there. If he was in Yerushalayim, Hoya Oimeh Yerushalayim. He used to be standing in Yerushalayim, and then he started to Davin. And then he started to Davin, and he's no longer physically there. He's, he's somewhere else. He's somewhere else. He's at the, he's at the Oimeh Beruma Shal Olam. He's transported to the highest of places. Even the way we describe him is he was standing in the Beis HaMikdash. But guess what happened? He started to pray. started to die, but he's no longer there physically. When a person enters a place, a person enters physically Yerushalayim, a person enters the Yerushalayim of relationships, a person enters that holy city, that place of Emunah, that place of Nisim, of miracles, of faith, that there's something beyond what our physical eyes can see, it's Aimdai's Hayuraglain. We used to be standing. Now we're transported to a different place. Someone told me, he said, you know, a lot of people think that Rav Shlomo was a, uh, a musician, a composer. But he was really, and the end of that sentence can end in about 2,000 ways, depending on who you are and where you're from. And they're all true. <laughs> and they're all wrong. But the one thing he said was, he was really about tefillah. He was really about tefillah. Looked like he was giving a concert, he was davening. All the time he was davening. And bless us all, we should feel tonight that we used to be sitting in Mishkafayim. 
that were transported to a different place entirely.
very, very soft. Try to just do humming. Let's see how that works. There's so many different ways of approaching and ways of trying to connect to and try to conjure in our minds the image of this spirit, which is very much alive. It's very, very much alive. And it keeps on growing. It's a phenomenal thing. There are people who, myself among them, people who never met Rabbi Shlomo, who feel that he's transformed our entire lives. And that continues to be true. And there's something that's very relevant. And there's a message that resonates very, very intensely with this generation, with our experience in a very broken world, yearning for wholeness, yearning to touch something ideal, yearning to catch a glimpse of the possibility of things being different. And I think that when we encounter a person who lives the way that he did, which was Lamalami Tambadas on every conceivable level or inconceivable level, I think it gives us permission a little bit to dream gives us permission to dream, to vicariously through these stories and through his travels and through his experiences and through his mode of living to touch something that a little bit carries us out of the drudgery and the you know, sort of day-to-day mundanity of the lives that hopefully we're thriving in but sometimes feel trapped in. There are so many stories, uh, trillions of stories. There's probably three times the amount of days that he lived, that's how many stories there are, l'chaira. I have to do the math on that one. And the reason why I love the following story, and there are so many seats, if you want to sit this. But the, the, reason, the reason that I love the following story, and the reason why I feel it's remarkable, is dafka because of the unremarkability of the story. Because I think it was just another Tuesday night in the life of this, of this giant. Rosalma did a bar mitzvah in Chicago. And he was there, let's say, uh, on a Monday evening, did the bar mitzvah, Tuesday night, he's flying back to New York and he's leaving. 
A couple of hours before he heads to the airport, famously, he said he lives in the airport, you know. A couple of hours before, he gets a call from a couple, strangers, and they say, we need to meet with you urgently. Of course, he says, okay, I'm here for another couple of hours. Why don't you come over? So this couple walks in, never heard of them before, he doesn't know who they are. And they say, Rabbi Shlomo, isn't they? They say, Rabbi Shlomo, we're getting married next week here in Chicago, we want you to be Masada Kedusha. So Rabbi Shlomo's telling over this story, he says, there's two kinds of people that want me to be Masada Kedusha. He says, either they really like me and they want, you know, a very high wedding and they want, or he says, their mom is dirt poor. <laughs> they don't have any money to hire somebody and he says, they're coming. So if someone wanted to sort of ascertain exactly which category these chaper found themselves in, so he asked them, where's the wedding going to be? And they said, listen, to be honest with you, he said, there's one kosher restaurant in Chicago, I guess, at the time. They said, we took out a table in the back of the restaurant. Okay, so they immediately knew which category they find themselves in. But mom, is like unheard of levels of poverty. And that's your wedding. Your wedding is a table in a restaurant surrounded by strangers eating and other things. Like, it's, it's not, it's unfathomable. So Shlomo chapped a little bit, you know, the brokenness, obviously, of their inability to, like, have. So he said without a beat, he said, don't worry, he said, I'll, I'll come back next week, I'm paying my own airfare, I'm coming to be Masada Kedusha Mayor Wedding. That would be a story in and of itself, but the story is just beginning. So the next week, Shlomo finds himself in the airport again, and he's back on a plane, he lands in Chicago, and he heads over to the restaurant, believe it or not, to the restaurant, where this couple is having their chasen. He said, these particular chaver, this couple, weren't so uh, outwardly or classically affiliated with Yiddishkeit so strongly yet. But they came from very, very firm families, also whatever that means. But they came from very, you know, committed, strict, serious Yidin. Apparently the uncle of the chassan had caught wind of this, that Shlomo Kavach has come to be Messiah Kedushin. He hired his own rav. And they refused to let him do anything. They refused to let him say a word. They told him, you should be happy that we're letting you stay. Be happy we're letting you be here. They didn't let him speak. They didn't let him do anything, not rabbinic, not musician, nothing. So obviously he was, I mean, insulted, insulted beyond the words, I mean, what this person went through. But he paid his own airfare, al for strangers to fly to this place. And they're not letting him open his mouth. It's a little bit, you know, but he said it was a wedding. He was going to hold the peace. But he went over to the chassan, he said, listen, he said, it's a privilege just for me to be here, but I'm ashamed on behalf of Orthodox Judaism, you know, that this is what's going on. But he said, I'm happy I'm here. Later on in the wedding, the chassan and Kala, I guess, really pleaded with the uncle. It's hard to imagine what exactly was happening there, but they allowed him to play a niggin or two. And he's sitting there, and the uncle and the rub are just talking very loudly, ruining the whole thing on purpose. Man. Just, just, you know, to make sure that he... At a certain point, he put down the guitar, he said, ah can't really continue. He said, I need a couple of minutes to myself. He walked out of the restaurant to the street. And he has an idea. He calls one of his chevr who lived in Chicago. All around the world, there were Shlomo people. People were connected with him. All kinds of people, such as that first group of Yidin that he reached and impacted. Broken people. People like us. And broken, you know, doesn't fit one category. It's like you can, you can dress however you want to dress, but broken is broken. And broken needs something else, something that he had. And he calls him up, he says, you want to do the biggest mitzvah you ever did in your life? He says, in a half hour from now, I need all of our chavr here in Chicago, everybody that you know. He says, gather them at your house. Everybody. He said, call anybody you know who might conceivably be connected with me. And he 
He said, we need, a, we need them all, gather by your house. After the wedding, Rabbi Shlomo and the Chassan had made up with the Chassan and Kala, bizarrely enough, I don't, I don't understand every detail, I don't need to, it's a Shlomo story. But, but bizarrely enough, the Chassan and Kala had arranged with Shlomo that they were going to drive him back to his hotel after their wedding. They were going to take him in the car, and they were going to be the one, it was a schus for them, I don't know, were, it was a privilege. They said, we're going to drive you back to, the, back to the hotel. So they're driving him, and Shlomo says, you know, just, I'm just two minutes out of the way, I have to drop something off, I have to pick something up at somebody's house, they said, no problem. <coughs> they pull up by the Ziet's house, there's 150 chevra with candles outside the house on the lawn. Shlomo said they were bringing it until four in the morning. Wow. Said it was the deepest, highest, most exalted wedding you know, that anybody can imagine. There's a couple of things to sort of analyze here. I think first and foremost, this was just another night. Like this wasn't, this wasn't a remarkable thing. That, like there are pretty amazing stories. This is just another night. But the reason why I love this story so much is because I think that it portrays the stark contrast between the life that's normative and bound by the realities of our circumstances, poverty, wedding in a restaurant, you know, unbudging relationships and problems and politics and drama, and the ability within that situation to just give birth to, a, to an idealized, sort of like, not even bound to the, you know, the strictures of reality, just another way, another possibility, ways that things can be different, just another way of, of existing. And both of those can happen in this world and it's dependent on the way we want to live. So we can submit ourselves to the realities, quote unquote, of our circumstances, but with a little bit of a different way of thinking, everything can be different, everything. And you can go from one little table in a restaurant to mamish out on the front lawn of somebody's house with candles until four in the morning, just mamish connecting in the deepest way. Rabbi Nachman has a famous Torah. Many of us are familiar with this idea, but the Pasuk says, until him, bitsar hirchavdali. Which means, on a simple level, Rabbi Shalom, you widened and expanded my circumstances bitsar when I was in pain, when I was in a narrow place, without an eye, and when I was in a narrow place, was also connected to the word sar. Says Rabbi Nachman, no, that's not what it means. This Pasuk doesn't imply God taking a person out of a difficult situation and expanding things so that all of a sudden he's free and he doesn't feel choked. Rabbi Nachman says, listen to the words. Bitzar, while I was still in the narrow place, you didn't take me out. You gave me a little, little tiny flicker of light that widened things for me while I'm still bound by that circumstance. I can't promise each and every one of you, or myself, that every facet of our struggles and difficulties, it's all just gonna work out and everything's gonna be perfect. Life is life and reality is reality. But I bless us all to be able with that mindset to find a little harchava, even, even within those moments of those down days and those cloudy days. It's coming Tevez, you know, it's raining. Cheshven rather, right? And, and, and to be able somehow to find a glimmer of light to find a little bit of broad-mindedness, to find a little friend, to find a little coffee house somewhere where you can just sit and just connect and just remove yourself for a little bit, physically, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, on whatever level, to tap into that place of that alternate reality, which maybe is more re real than the realities we think we're bound by.
say about Rabbi Shlomo is, is going to be right and wrong, and I heard once, in, I don't remember who says this, you probably remember, that, um, that a great Rebbe said that any story you hear about the Baal Shem Tov, you know, if you believe every story, then you're, you know, you know you're silly, but if you don't believe, Ramana Shana Kukaris, you got to believe, you got to remember everything, everything. So, to me, this the, the song we just sang, um, there's so many songs that Rav Shlomo had that you could say, like, wow, this is just his mission statement. This is what he's holding against the world and saying, no, this is what I believe in. And, and this is one of them. That, that song is definitely one of them. Right? Right? Telling Hashem, just telling Hashem, like, Hashem, no, you promised. You promised. You promised that this is not the end. And I think one thing that, that Rav Shlomo gave us, among so many, um, he introduced new words, or brought old words that, that we knew, but just brushed them up. Like Gavalt, you know. Gavalt was a, you know, if I tell somebody you're Gavalt, it's like, oh my gosh, what did I do, you know? And now it's like, oh, you're Gavalt. Ah, oh, thank you so much, you're Gavalt, you know. And, like, and um, a lot of words that he took and he shook them up. So one thing that that he really, Shlomo had holy chutzpah, had holy chutzpah. He would call it holy chutzpah. Holy chutzpah, to have the nerve to do something that is, you know, on so many levels, yet holy chutzpah, in such a beautiful way, you know, in such a soft, beautiful way. 
And if I think of everything and anything that we have today, you know, in our in our Yiddishkeit, I'm not just talking about this, it could be the Kalbach minions or anything Kalbach related, Nigun related. Literally every facet of our lives, whether we know it or not, has been completely transformed by this one person. The fact that we can do this, like sit together and play music, you know, like, and stay, you know, tell Torah. And sometimes I think about what Rav Shlomo did, and I think of, you know, there was the war, right? The Holocaust, the six million, as he would call them, right? And nobody cried, you know, over the six million like Rav Shlomo. And nobody danced after the six million like Rav Shlomo. And there are few tzaddikim that you can think of, you know, that after the war, you know, it's literally the destruction of Am Israel. Literally the destruction. What do you do? And Yiddishkeit after the war was, was dry, and it, was, it was tired, and it was broken, and there was no future, and that's it. And very few, there are few tzaddikim that you can think of that Mamash had the holy chutzpah to shake things up. Obviously, the Lubavitcher Rebbe just shook the world. Shook the world and said, Mashiach now, it doesn't matter. Like, what do you mean Mashiach now? Which is like, you know, six million people like, died in gas chambers. Mashiach now. Mashiach now. Mashiach now. And Rav Shlomo's whole mission statement was going, you know, his whole life was, you know, we talk about the Holocaust, we say never again. Never again, never again, never again. Rav Shlomo's whole mission statement was taking it from never again looking into the past he says ah we're living in the past guys take it from never again and switch it into like never before like never before and nobody 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 I looked up the word I looked up the phrase I'm Israel Chai and I was like yeah, I know it's not like you know Shlomo even like invent the, the phrase you know it's definitely it's, it's, it's in there but nobody, nobody burned that into Am Yisrael's psyche like Rishon. And you go to any Israeli today and say, Am Yisrael Chai, it's like Shema Yisrael, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, it's a mission statement. Am Yisrael Chai. It's holy chutzpah to say Am Yisrael Chai. You know? And even greater, you know, Oda Binu Chai. Incredible thing, Ramesh. Holy chutzpah to tell to... Because the premise of Oda Binu Chai is, is telling a person, Ah, oh, you think Hashem is dead. You think it's over. And to tell a person, Oh, David, Uchai, Guy, Hashem is alive. Hashem is real. Hashem is alive. Oh, David, Uchai, I'm Israel, Chai, Mamash. Everything, everything that we went through. It's like the Holocaust was this like birth, birth canal, you know? And so much was lost in the process, and so much brokenness, and so much of the old world, so much of our tradition, so much of, of Hasidic life, Amish life in Europe was lost, all the great rabbis. And there are a few, few great tzaddikim that were able to take to take the light of the past and to bring it with them into the future. And to not, not let it die out there. And not let it die out there. Mamash, the reason that we have chassidus today is because of these few people that took it and shook the world with it. And, and all in unassuming ways. You know, they all took this, this Chasidus, this like simple Chasidus, you know, shtetl kind of thing. Lubavitcher Rabbi spread it all across the world, you know, holy chutzpah. 
There's no place it can't be. Rav Shlomo took it to, to the hippies. He told them, nah, you guys, this is you, this is yours. Like, who would have thought, you know, like, having tissues, having all these, like, they for brain all night. There's so many stories, and they for brain all night. That's a Hasidish thing to do, you know? And Shlomo said, no, this is yours, this is yours. So much so that Mamash and people all over the world gathering around this, this weekend, Mamash, Shlomo's yard said, everywhere, of every background, people feel that they have a shaykhus to him. People feel that they have a shaykhus to Rav Nachman, to the Yishbitzer, to the Yishkodesh, all these, all these tzaddikim that Rav Shlomo, you know, shook off the dust and revealed them and then shared them with the world. Like never before, like never before, like never before. That's Rav Shlomo's statement. And so I always think that like the world, the only person that never went to a Kalbach minion is, is Rav Shlomo. You know? He never, he never, you know, he, he never got to go to a Kalbach minion. And his minion was not a Kalbach minion. He was drawing from his deep, deep, deep roots. And he was bringing himself in there. He was saying, guys, this is what it's about. And so Mama Shashreinu, we got to be with the Kalbach minion here. And just bless us all that every Kalbach minion be that. Be that. Connect to Shlomo's way. We bring ourselves in. We bring out the good and also. We live it like never before. Much, much, much. And so, what touches me, you know, very, very deeply is it's just, you know, I was, I was in Europe a couple years ago I was in Poland and getting to be at the camps in Krakow. And there we are singing, and this is like the fact that we can go around with a guitar. And it's like we're showing up there. The fact that we can sing through those dark, dark moments. It's a shlom. Every facet of our lives. So there's no song that brings it together like this song for me, at least. And I invite us all to sing to in the depths of our hearts. Like Rav Shlomo would say, everything, all the, all the souls in the past that passed away, they're back with us now, and they're singing our way to Jerusalem. Ramash, singing our way, like never before. Ramash.
Shlomo was a musician, but he was really one of the other ways of finishing that sentence, of course, goes without saying, but I think to some people it needs to be said, is that he was a phenomenally competent and incredibly deep teacher of Torah. This Torah was unique, I think we can classify it as Torah Salev. Torah Salev. 
didn't need to be so tidy intellectually. We didn't use our intellect to process it, analyze it, probe it. It was a Torah that Rav Shlomo used to beg before opening his mouth. Chavra, please open your hearts, right? Chavra, please open your hearts. We're only now, we're only now slowly but surely transcribing Rav Shlomo Katz. And others are transcribing all these Torahs. We have them in book forms, but... A number of years ago still, there was these audio files, audio drives going around. The fuzzier they were, the better they were, you know? And I listen to them, it's like, I can't hear what he's saying. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and, uh... I think my first exposure, really. So the world of Panimia Satora, which those that know me a little bit, this is my Indian, that's what I'm trying to do and, and really spread and really increase the engagement with and awareness of this kind of approach to Yiddishkeit, I think is so vital for our generation. I think it was our Shlomo that really opened the gates for me in that, in that way. When he spoke about Shabbos, I didn't think, you know, liver and herring, you know, and bourbon or scotch. When he spoke about Shabbos, it introduced me to a whole different experience of what Shabbos could be. He spoke about Eretz Yisrael, it wasn't just a physical place, and they have good falafel, and speak a different language. It was something else, it was just something else. When he spoke about Sadiqin, you felt as if he was speaking about Personalities, not that he read about or learned about or heard stories about, but personalities that lived within him, that accompanied him, that walked with him hand in hand. People that he lived with. He spoke about the Berdichver with more clarity than he spoke about his next door neighbor. He lived with the Berdichver, he lived with the Sadiqim. That was a different experience of what Sadiqim are, what they can be for us, what they must be for us. Our lives largely. But their chlal are dependent heavily <coughs> on our definitions of things. Because we all live within the shared space of reality that we spoke about before. But depending on our definition of what things are and how things need to be, that's how we process the holistic whole of our circumstance. Rabbi Shlomo changed my definition. <coughs> It's the same things. Everything's the same. It's the same Shabbos I had. It's the same concept of tzaddikim. It's the same limanat Torah, tefillah, Hashem. Rav Shlomo changed my definitions. One by one. And in so doing, he gifted me, and I think I can speak on behalf of many of us, he gifted me with a different lens through which to look at everything I had already been looking at. It changed everything. Changed everything. There's so many Torahs to say. There's so... so so much to share on every facet and aspect. There's something to say about everything. But one thing that's very, very strong, and I think you know, it's a Torah that's particularly geared toward the woman, but I think all of us as parents, as educators, as friends, as members of a community, and I bless us all to be all of those things, to be parents and friends, members of a community, and educators. Listen to this Torah from Rav Shlomo. 
takes us right back to the beginning, the beginning, the beginning of everything. In the beginning. Mighty quickly, the creation that Akadosh Baruch Hu just invested a lot of hope into completely fails. Like things go wrong right from the beginning. Such a Jewish story, you know? It's like, <laughs> get out of the driveway, the kids are screaming, you know? It's like, it didn't, nothing started yet. Like, wait, you know, wait till we're on the highway. This is, this is our experience, right? Because we live, because we live in this world, and that's the nature of this world. But things go wrong very quickly. And Adam and Chava can't manage whatever this is. There's so much Torah around what this was. But they eat from the tree that they're told not to eat from. And the first thing they do is scamper away and they hide. And the Kaddish Baruch Hu's voice echoes throughout the garden. Ayaka! Ayaka! a deep question. Where are you? It's Pasha to all of us. It's obvious like the Balatanya told the, the, uh, the prison warden when he was in prison we discussed this with. He said it should be clear to you and it should be clear to all of us that this is not a question about where you're physically located. Ayaka. He's God. He's omnipotent. He's everywhere. Amakodesh Baruch was asking them Ayaka. Where are you? How have you lost touch with the you that you're supposed to live in alignment with? This clarity as to what your mission is, who you really are. Where are you, Ayaka? Where have you gone? Rabbi Shlomo says something very, very deep. Ordinarily, I think we're conditioned to look at that word just because of the lenses that we've been given by society around us, the way that we've been educated and raised. We look at that word as a very accusatory, like sort of a yucka, like, where are you? You know, I'm just gonna come and slap you, like, where are you? I mean, you know, like some mashkiach or something, you know, it's a yucka, where, where, where are you hiding? Rabbi Shlomo says, Mom, the deepest, 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 deepest thing. He says this word, ayaka. is filled with the deepest, deepest, strangely enough, confusion on behalf of a Kurdish Baruch Hu It's a one-word question, but it contains within it a world of emotion, and the world of emotion that it contains is captured in the words, why did you run away? Ayaka. Why did you run away? I get it. You did something wrong. You did the thing wrong. <laughs> there is nothing else to do right or wrong. You did it. And all of us have that forbidden fruit in our lives. But Ayaka, it's like, where are you running? Where did this come from that you're running away when you do something wrong? Where did this come from? And a Kaddish Baruch who says, Chava, now that you ate from the tree and you ran away, it's going to be difficult for you to raise children. It's going to be the pain physically of giving birth. This difficulty of raising children in the world, but it's not just a physical pain of pregnancy, labor. It's that if you don't understand what the next move is after you make a mistake, and you think that I, the parent figure, Kiviyahu, to these adults, 
is someone that you're gonna run away from when you make a mistake, you don't know the first thing about being a parent. So it's gonna be difficult for you to raise children. Because if you think that every time that you make a mistake, you have to run away because HaKadosh Baruch is gonna punish and HaKadosh Baruch is gonna... And you don't think that that's the time to run to HaKadosh Baruch And you don't think that when your kids make the mistakes that they'll make because we're human beings, that the first thing that should cross their mind is, I gotta run, I gotta run to my parents. And this is the time to run to them and not run away from them. And if you don't know how to give this over to them, that you're there and you're not moving. But like Yaakov Avinu's image of this ladder, Mutzav Artsa a ladder that's rooted on the ground but that reaches up to the sky. And the Ishbitzer says that this is every Jew who's a little bit of an angel and sometimes we go up and sometimes we go down. But the end of the Pasuk says, What does this word Nitzav mean? It's Malashem Matseva. A person goes to a Vesakvaris. Matseva is eternal, it's an eternal memory. It's there forever. So you think that you can go up and down a little bit. Sometimes you're going up and sometimes things are going well. And sometimes it's a good day and sometimes you're into it and you have cheshek to David and you're working on yourself and gaining ground. And sometimes yardim, sometimes the opposite. Kodesh Baruch was there. And he's not only there when things are going well. He's the one to run to when he's the one you sinned against. And this is what it means to be a parent. And this is our image of a Kodesh Baruch that Rav Shlomo gifted us with is a completely different kind of experience. What this is Hashem, what this is, meaning Hashem needs of a love. The Yiddishkeit consists of the entire circle. It's not only a half, the upper half, when things are going well and Yiddishkeit is the whole, it's the entirety of the human experience and Hashem fills it all. And then when things don't go so well, it's not a time to run away. And that's the time to turn around, pivot, and to run back into HaKadosh Baruch Hu's embrace, and to pour out our broken hearts before Him. And I bless us all, like Rav Shlomo used to say, I bless you and me. We should be zocha to give this feeling to our children. And it's a double blessing, of course, or a triple blessing. We should all be zocha to find our zivug. We should all be zocha to bring children into the world. And we should be zocha when we bring those children into the world to nurture them in such a way to make it crystal clear in their minds that we're their mitzvah, Aleyhu. That we're there for them no matter what. And that there's never a point in their lives that they should feel as if they have to run away from us. And that it's specifically in those moments when they feel like running. It's specifically when they've entered into an experience of a place where they feel they can't stay. That our arms are wide open. and ready to gather them up. and ready to hold them tight. and ready to give them everything that they need in that moment. Amen v'amen. Okay, if you know this, try me. If not, you'll learn it in about 30 seconds. It's like all birth from a song. I come a
always say good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Shabbos, good Yantiv, good Purim, as I see here, good Purim. Every day is everything. Yonatan mentioned so beautifully, every day out of the, after the Holocaust is everything. Every day needs to be everything. Every day needs to be the entire journey of what it is to be a Jew. Every day needs to be a little bit of Tisha B'Av. Every day needs to be a little bit of Kippur. And every day needs to be Mamish, Mamish, the Indian of Shabbos. Shlomo used to say, you know, people are so sad when Shabbos leaves. He says, when Shabbos is over, just stay there. Don't go. When Shabbos finishes, stay in Shabbos. Chassidim, they would drag it out, drag it out. Rabbi Natan, Pastor Rabbi Natan, they wouldn't stop. It was Shabbos, it was Shabbos. In that room, it was Shabbos. They captured Shabbos, and Shabbos was still there. When Shabbos is over, don't go anywhere, just stay there. But be beyond all of that, I think that the entire spectrum of who this person was, like Yonatan said, there was nobody who cried over the six million like Rosh Lama. There was nobody who rejoiced in the rebuilding of every single Jewish house and every Yid was mamish a miracle. Like Rosh Lama, the Zarkadish says that the Jewish heart has two chambers. In one chamber, there's crying, there's brokenness. And the other chamber is rejoicing. That's what the Zara says. In every yid, every yid you see walking down the street, there's two things going on in that Jew's heart. There's a chamber of brokenness and there's a chamber of rejoicing. And these two chambers don't negate one another. Roshlomi used to say, I think it's a Belzer Tyre, he used to say, correct me, I'm sure I'm sitting in front of the big mumchim. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but Roshlomi wouldn't have had. Wouldn't have. But he says, he says like this, he says, I think it's a Belzer Torah. If not, it's, it's now a Belzer Torah. He says, the Pasuk says, Which classically means those that plant in tears, they're reaping with joy. Because it's difficult to plant and a lot of effort goes into planting and a lot of sacrifice goes into planting, hard work. Those that plant with tears, those people will reap with joy. Says Rosh Hashanah, no, 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 something else, something else, something else. Also that, but something else. He says, you're putting the comma in the wrong place. This is how you read a Pesach. Hazorim bedima berina, comma, yiksayrim. It's those people that planned a little bit of Dima with a little bit of tears, but also a little bit of Rina, also a little bit of joy. It's those kind of people that you serve. It's those kind of people that will reap in the end. I think what inspires us about Shlomo, if I can be so bold as to speak on behalf of all of us, but certainly for myself, Yonatan spoke before about this audacity, this holy chutzpah, this Rabbi Nachman calls Azaz de Kedushan. To proclaim to a world that had just witnessed a destruction that's unfathomable by any measure throughout history, and it's been pretty dark at times. To proclaim Ode Avinu Chai, 
Our Father is still Nitzavala. Our Father is still around. And Am Yisrael Chai. And Am Yisrael are around. And Am Yisrael are alive and vibrant and rebuilding and flourishing and thriving. I think what really, really inspires us about Shlomo is that he was Chai. He was alive. Say what you want about him. The man was alive. He was alive. And it's something that in the modern age is so rare to find a person who's mamish alive. And to be alive means, it's based on Rabbi Nachman, but to be alive means, Rav Cook says this also, to be alive means to have an ideal that you're yearning toward hopefully. That's the definition of alive. A person who has an ideal, an ideal vision of how things can be better and yearns for it, hopefully. That's life. People who have given up on the world are not alive anymore. They're still alive, they're walking around, they're dead. People who have an ideal, maybe they yearn for it, but not hopefully, they're not alive. People who have no ideal, but are hopeful and yearn, and all the combinations, you need, you need those three. Reb Shlomo was a person who was full of ideals. He felt Mashiach, it wasn't a yearn for Mashiach, he felt it was tangible, it was tonight, it was tomorrow. He lived on the threshold of Mashiach. He was a person who had this image of world peace that was so tangible, was so there. It was so accessible, it was some dream, like some distant vision. It was, it was there, an ideal of Am Yisrael getting together, people more broad-mindedly looking past all the distinctions and external things that divide us, ever opening up to the deepest element of the collective soul that we all share. And to start to identify ourselves personally on that level and to see that in other Jews. He was a person filled with yearning. Who yearned for that every second of his life. Who didn't settle for any status quo. Who pined and longed for all of those things that he felt, that he tasted, that he, he saw a few feet in front of him. So, so, so accessible. <clears throat> and he was a person who did it all hopefully with an incredible, incredible level of confidence. With the faith and the belief after witnessing the destruction of an entire nation, everything, 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 not only could change, but would. I think that this is what touches us about Rishonah. Is this chiyas, is this liveliness. We live in a tired world. We've been through a lot. We've been through a lot nationally. You expand the range a little bit historically in the past couple of decades, we've been through a lot. We've been through a lot individually in our own lives. Each of us is on a journey and we go through things. Maybe we're going through things right now as we sit here. I think just on a more collective level, these past two years have been pretty darn hard. Pretty, pretty difficult. A lot of painful tragedies. A lot of loss. A lot of confusion. A lot of discord. A lot of separateness. A lot of frustration. And we're tired. 
And it's on the horizon of that tiredness. It's on the hazy, foggy sort of cloud that hovers over us wherever we go, at work and at home and in shul and on the street. And a shining image of this face, of this vision of this visage, of a person who was mamish alive, who had ideals and yearned for them hopefully, that that lights up our world. And that gives us the strength to stand up after a Miron and after a Corona. And it gives us a little bit of strength and it fills our heart with that warmth and it gives us that permission again to, to have an ideal and to yearn for it hopefully. And to say, Rabbanishal, Master of the World, we haven't forgotten you. We've been through what we've been through. We're going to make it. We're making it. We're going to make it. It's a few feet to the finish line. We're going to make it. And not only are we going to make it with every single ounce of brokenness and every single tear that any Jew ever cried throughout our history, in our left hand. But we're going to make it with a song in our right hand. We're going to make it with wings of prayer, wings of faith, and wings of closeness and togetherness. We're going to make it dancing while we weep, weeping while we're dancing. Am Yisrael is ready in a way we've never, ever been throughout our history, never. Have we been in such a time, at such a place where our hearts are open in a way they were never open before? And things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And you read this, Adar's Bechitsonius on the outside. Things look like they're falling apart. The seed is rotting, the seed is rotting, the seed is rotting because the seed rots one moment before it takes root and begins to push upward toward the sky. Things are getting better and better. Hashem is running the world better and better every moment. And we're a part of it. This is a part of it. Not sufficing with the externality, for the external definitions of what Shabbos is, what Sadiqim are, what tefillah is, in and out, chik chak, check off the checklist, so make sure I stay on God's good side so I don't have to run away and scamper into the forest of Gan Eden and misinterpret his ayeka. No, 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 no. We're open. We are open and our hearts are open in a way they've never been. For the panemias, for the inside, for the relationship. <laughs> to listen to that ayeka with different ears and to turn ourselves around, which is what each and every one of us are doing in this moment and sitting here and enjoying with us. And it's such a privilege to sit in your presence. And it's what our nation is doing. It's a painful process. We're coming back. We're coming back to Eretz Yisrael. We're coming back to the Eretz Yisrael in Liman Atayra. We're coming back to the Eretz Yisrael in our marriages and our relationships and our parenthood. Things are changing in the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful way. Things are changing. Things are returning. In the most wonderful way. I'm those high you raglain of a Shariah Hirishalai. 
we're so much bigger than we are physically. We're so much bigger than the identity that we define ourselves by. When we look in the mirror and the image that we see, we're bigger, we're bigger, we're bigger, two billion times bigger. That wherever we find ourselves in a given moment, it's only The soul is poreach, the soul is flying, is flying, is yearning, is longing. We're regaining a little bit of our ideal. We're regaining permission to yearn. And we're regaining permission to do it all, hopefully. And this is our Akar Satayv to Rav His imperfection is not for us to judge. Our Hakara Satov to Rav Shlomo is for representing this shining beacon of Chiyas, of life force, of Od Shlomo Chai, of Od Am Yisrael Chai, of Od Avinu Chai. Permission to stand up from the grave, Chiyas Amesim, and to return to the Eretz Yisrael within ourselves. Because he saw it in us and he believed in it. And he believed in Am Yisrael. And he used to say, what does it mean to believe in Mashiach coming? What does that mean to believe that Mashiach is going to come? He says, you know what it means to believe in Mashiach? Belief in Mashiach means belief in Am Yisrael. That we have the ability to bring Mashiach. That's what it means to believe in Mashiach. Belief in Mashiach means belief in yourself. Belief in the chalik of Mashiach that each and every one of us contain. That each and every one of us in the in this post-Holocaust period of time, each and every one of us sitting here is tasked with illuminating our surroundings to the extent possible. With being Megalic Foyt Shemayim in every single aspect of our lives, each of us has that obligation. Rav Shlomo said before the Holocaust, there were Rebbes and Hasidim. There were hundreds of thousands of Hasidim, there were hundreds of Rebbes. And he said, after the Holocaust, every little schlepper yid left is a Rebbe. And the whole world is our Hasidim. And the job of a Rebbe is to nurture. And the job of a, of a Rebbe is to bring to lives, to animate, and to give hope and to give strength. And that's our task, to find it within ourselves and to spread it to every single person that we encounter. That's my blessing to all of us, is just to stay on the course that we're on. Keep on striving, keep on growing. Rabbanish Shalom, allow us never ever to lose this idealism. Please allow us never ever to stop yearning for this idealism and never ever let us lose hope no matter what we go through. And we haven't forgotten. We're a miracle. What a privilege to sit in this land. What a privilege to sit together. Ashreinu mamashchem. Ashreinu one thousand times over. What a privilege. What a schos, what a privilege. So let's do two and three more nagunim. And then we'll march out to the world, mamish, and bring them the gift that we hold in our hands.
Uncle, 